Adulting can be hard. And have you ever noticed that the longer we adult, the less social we seem to become? Join us as a pastor, a lawyer, and a generalist walk into a podcast to make time for meaningful conversations about life, theology, and the church. We are The Socially Remote. Well, hey guys. It is good to be back on The Socially Remote. How you doing? Good. I thought I was doing the intro, so I'm doing great. And it's good to be back in the studio too. When I said it was good to be back on the socially remote, I kind of meant the studio, but okay, you know, I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Just been to clarify. No. Well, I, I thought when we were talking beforehand that I was doing the intro and David, you were going to tell us a funny story. I have um, no humor left in me. I sat through the entire presidential debate last night and I have nothing to laugh about. <laughs> so you know what I think might be fun because when this airs, the vice presidential debate will have just happened. So mm. we're recording tonight after the presidential debate, which are the night next, after. Yeah. The night after, but the next episode, I'm going to go ahead and tease it out. We are actually going to talk about Christianity and politics. So wow. join us for Yeah. Big that's topic. That's going to be a big topic, especially with what we're going through, but maybe what might be fun is to give our take on the vice presidential debate that hasn't happened yet. Mm. So David, how'd you feel about that debate? Well, I feel like when, Pence took his coat off and took his tie off and unbuttoned that top button just to you very know. European feel to it. Yeah, he didn't, like have I, a, he didn't have the undershirt on. I know he was trying to look relaxed, but uh, I felt taking his shoes off was a bit much. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, that big toenail was a little, it just, <laughs> uh, it kind of got me. So yeah, that was a, that was a weird thing, but I, th- I think he pulled it off by the end. He, yeah. The, the weirdest thing to me was probably Trump standing behind his shoulder trying to interrupt both him and Kamala Harris. Yeah. But yeah. they, they kind of took I, away his, his mic. So that was good. Yeah. I don't really have anything to say about the debate other than I think it was a little bit more serious than the other debate. It's mm. good. That's a good read. That's now. a good prediction actually. No, it's a good read. See, we're, we're commenting uh, yes, on the debate. That's right. Yeah, we're time read. travelers. Yeah. But like I said, 2020, what else can you do? The other thing that was, was a little bit strange to me was the, where, where was this again? This debate? wherever it was, I, I thought it was a little insensitive of them to continue the day after a tornado wrecked the Wait, entire town. What? It's in Salt Lake city. <laughs> Just tornadoes in Salt Lake city. <laughs> so there you go. And it's on October the 7th. I don't know why, but I, when you asked that question, I almost said at the largest Mormon tabernacle in Utah, <laughs> I had no idea where that thing was going to be taking place. Wouldn't that be awesome, man? Mitt Too Romney, bad I can't Mitt Romney presiding. <laughs> so tonight we are actually going to talk about another slightly current event. There was a film that was put out on Netflix a few weeks ago called The Social Dilemma, and we have all watched it, and we are going to talk about it. We are going to be cognizant that not all of our listeners have watched the film, so we're going to try and set up some things as we talk about them, about sort of what they said and and what they what points they were getting at, but... We think it's an important film. We all enjoyed it. So I think without further ado, we ought to get into the sneak peek for this. Yeah. Let our folks know what this thing's all about. Yep. So this was a film, as Stephen just mentioned, that was released a few weeks ago. It's a Netflix uh, original production. It's billed as a documentary slash drama hybrid. And what the sort of tagline is, it explores the dangerous human impact of social networking with tech experts sounding the alarm on their own creations. Would would you call that maybe a dramunctory? Perhaps. I never would. Anyway, the producer is a guy named Jeff Orlowski. He's a 36-year-old Stanford-educated, educated in anthropology, not film, who lives in Colorado now, but he's done a, uh, several other films, documentaries, both of which are um, on climate change. One's called Chasing Coral. The other one's called Chasing Ice. So he is the producer. The main character, and I use that word loosely because that sounds like it's truly- but How about drama. the person they gave the most screen time to? Yes. There we <laughs> go. Is a guy named Tristan Harris. Tristan. Tristan. Is it Tristan or Tristan? I can't remember. He says at one point, a woman in the film says- is it Tristan? And he said, yes, Tristan. Yeah, Tristan. So he is a former design ethicist at Google who has since left the company 
and works and I think he co-founded a nonprofit called the Center for Humane Technology. And we'll probably talk about that maybe at some point in the podcast. But um, he is the main speaker, interviewee, I don't know how you want to call it, uh, throughout the film. And he's been, I'd say, probably the driving force in this movement publicly. Like he's given a lot of interviews to like 60 Minutes. You can you can find a lot of his stuff on YouTube, different interviews he's given to different news outlets that are really, really interesting. It's a lot of the same material that he presents here, but I've been watching his stuff for a while and he has kind of been a leading voice in this charge to just raise awareness about the state of social media and technology right now. Well, and and one thing I will say is that when I was in college, I was, I was sitting there juggling, should I get an English major or should I go for being a design ethicist for Mm. for software and, (laughs) and programming? And I just, you know, watching this movie made me think maybe I made the wrong choice. Yeah. I was kind of surprised at that job description or job <laughs> position at Google. When it but, came up on the screen, I was like, design ethicist at Google. What an awesome job. Yeah, exactly. That that design has no ethics. So Mr. Go back to, to square one now. Exactly. So Mr. Harris is the main person who speaks on this, but it also includes a bunch of other, what I would say, sort of mid-level, maybe senior senior level engineers at a bunch of the different social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, who since left those yeah. platforms yeah, and those positions. Yeah. Exactly. And and they and, and then there's they interview several academics as well who have studied social media, the technology impact on culture, et cetera. And so they share some of their experiences as well in their academic research. So just to kind of set up the, the film, in the early minutes of it, Tristan Harris is depicted and, and recalls when he was working at Google. He started having concerns about the effect that social media usage, whether I think it was particularly Gmail, but how it was affecting or the potential effects on people. One might even say that he had some ethical concerns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. About, I'm not, about how yeah. it was going. He, well, he, he said he, we had a lot of conversations about what color the inbox should be, but nothing about how addictive this was. Yeah. And that I, yeah, I think that's personally, he says that's his biggest struggle is email, but just the fact that he couldn't stop checking his email and knew other people were in that same scenario. And the only discussions were just about general design not ethics design. So the guy was doing his job, right? He put out this PowerPoint. Yeah. So he put out this PowerPoint like called uh, a call to minimize distraction and respect users' attention. And I can't remember. You guys might remember. Somehow it was circulated. I don't know if he emailed it to a bunch of folks or yeah, I, I think he did. Somehow well, it was circulated. He said he, said he only emailed it. He, he kind of worked on it for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. solid in the evenings. Uh, honestly, as he was talking about, I had this Jerry Maguire moment. Like it was something like he was just burdened about. He worked on it for just a few weeks in the evenings. And then he circulated it to about 15 or 20 people of his closest colleagues that he was working with at the time, just asking for their comments. And they started circulating it. And so apparently it it got all the way up to the point where within, I don't remember the time frame, one or two days to a week, Mm. Larry Page had been told about it at least three different times. He's the CEO. Yeah. yeah. The CEO of Google. So, you know, and then, and then it just kind of fizzled, but Matt, the notes that we have for, for this podcast, you, it sounds like you've actually looked at the presentation. So how'd you get a copy of it? Uh, I Googled did, it. Did Tristan send it to you? <laughs> I Googled it. Um, it was actually hard to find. Um, I just typed it in in Google and I actually couldn't find it in PowerPoint. I found it in, I don't remember the format, but anyways, mm. uh, yeah, I went and because I actually wanted to see the source material to actually see what he wrote. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty long actually, but one of the things he does is he, in the PowerPoint, he sort of describes what he thinks are some of the problems with social media. Just real quickly, he says in the PowerPoint, it weakens our relationships with others. It destroys our ability to focus. It plays on human vulnerabilities and talks about the so-called intermittent rewards, which is that slot machine effect that they have, which is encouraging fast thinking as opposed to pausing, thinking through things and reflecting, and also encourages impulsive and mindless behavior. Those are just four or five things that he says in the PowerPoint is saying here, this is why I wrote this PowerPoint is because there's a lot of problems with the products we're creating. He circulates this somewhat through email. It gets around and eventually gets the attention of the CEO. And then he, it sounded like, well, something's going to happen. And then turns out nothing happened. Yeah. Just um, fizzled. fizzled. And so a couple other things that Harris notes pretty early on is that 
he makes the comment that basically you've got 25 to 35 year old predominantly white men who are designing these algorithms and his comment is never in the history of humankind have 25 to 35 year old predominantly white men had so much power over so many people. Oh, and such a small number too. Like he, yeah, that's it's, right. It's bigger than a handful, but I think he, he just says just a handful of young guys are basically determining how 2 billion people in the world think and live and operate on a daily basis. Yeah. Yep. The other thing it talks about in the film, and we'll get into this maybe a little bit, but it's talked about the idea of surveillance capitalism, mm. which is sort of what, how they make money, these social media entities. Spe- speaking of which, when this airs, it will be kind of October 7th, 8th timeframe. The very next week is going to be Amazon prime days. Oh yeah. Do you know what Amazon's going to be pushing? They have designed a new Alexa device. Mm. It's a drone that fly, that maps your home inside and flies around and monitors your home for strange noises, noises that are out. So it would be recording what you normally do. Mm. And then if there's an out of the ordinary noise, it will give you an alert of some sort. So, uh, so if you would like Amazon to surveil your home and fly around your home with it, I don't know if it has a camera or not, but presumably it's got an audio device in it Goodness, and yeah. uh, re- listen for strange noises. Mm. Yeah. I recently rewatched the uh, captain America winter soldier where they've got the three uh, ships that go up into the sky and their job is to eliminate any potential threats. And mm-hmm. the first number they come up with is almost a million people that they're just going to instantly take out because of their digital habits. Basically they're going to say, based on this pattern, we suspect that you might be a threat to Hydra or whatever it ends up being. But I hear things like that. And I'm just like, you know, we're not that far. It's not that far fetched. So Matt, you were talking about surveillance capitalism, please. Continue. Yeah, surveillance. So talking about surveillance capitalism and just for our listeners, when I, when I use the term surveillance capitalism is just what it's defined as is an economic system centered around the commodification of personal data with the core purpose of profit making. So that's at its core, how these companies make money. Basically. So. Yeah. Basically using our data to make money. Yeah, I, th- I think there was one statement in the film. I mean, they, they basically, they, they say a lot of things like this, but essentially there are two industries in the world that call their quote unquote customers users. That's the drug industry yeah, and, 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 and software. <laughs> and so, um, you know, but but then they, they also, from there, they jump to the fact that we are actually not the customers. Mm-hmm. The the advertisers. Uh, well, yeah, the okay. advertisers yeah. are the customers. You know, they are paying for our attention. And we yeah. are the product. We are the product. They are paying for our attention. And I think one of the things they said is that the companies that are able to make the most money are the ones that sell, they sell certainty, mm. right? That they can move that needle for you one or 2%, that they could convince you that you should try this new shampoo or do this, you know, try this year, whatever they're advertising today or based you know, on for this person based on their analyzation of your data in real time through artificial intelligence. Uh, and then saying to this company, this person is going to 99.9% respond this way to this ad. That's, that's, right. that's what you mean by selling certainty. So in order yeah. to be able to do that, they need a ton of data and as the film shows, they have that. The, the drama aspect, I suppose, of the of the film is this one family, and it goes through this struggle of them using their phones, in particular using social media, and it really highlights one particular, I don't know, he's probably like a 16-year-old, 17-year-old uh, boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's sort of playing throughout the whole thing, and he's sort of asked to basically give it up, I think, for a week. Is that right? Yeah, that's and, right. And and to, to caveat that, too, the, yeah. other, the other side of that coin, and we're going to talk about this a little bit towards the end of the podcast, but the other side of that coin of the quote-unquote drama part is that you have a group of three people that are sort of living inside this guy's phone. They are this guy's social that's media right. account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every time he hasn't, looked checked at it, it yeah, or, checked yeah. it or looked at it for a certain amount of time. They're like, okay, hit him with this notification and to, in order to get him engaged and then hopefully get him to look. And they're, you know, they're saying, okay, well, if we hit him with this and we hit him with this, then he'll look and we'll get him re-engaged. And so, uh, there is a funny scene when, you know, he's, he's got this challenge to be off for a week and they're in their little computer lab going, what is, I mean, it's been like two or three days and you, you see him kind of really struggling with the fact that he hasn't spent any time on his 
device. And those guys are in his phone going, where is he? Nothing is working. <laughs> what is going on? And uh, it was a good element, but there's actually a lot of truth to that side of the coin. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. And I don't know if you guys noticed this throughout the film, but um, as the guys in the phone got more and more data on this 16 year old kid, mm-hmm. the profile. So they had, they had a, at first it was just sort of an AI looking thing in front of them, looking at all the ads and as they got more and more data and, and were more and more successful with their just algorithms, yep. yeah, they kept pushing different things and trying different things like, oh, well, let's hit him with this and see if he responds. Let's hit him with this and see if he responds. The profile turned into the kid throughout mm-hmm. the film. I thought that was a, I thought that was a clever touch. I thought the personification of algorithms was particularly effective. Yeah. There's three guys, as you said. So anyhow. Yep. So the other thing I would say about it is it, the film kind of concludes like this is obviously the societal disadvantages of social media, which described earlier in his PowerPoint and sort of runs through this. He's saying it has a detrimental effect on free people and in democracies. And, you know, what I would say, he didn't they don't say this, but it. It, it's created tribalism. What do you mean? Um, they, what do you mean? They don't say it. The two, I don't think the, they use that word. Right, so one of the executives at the end, they said, what's, what's your biggest fear? Short term. And he says, um, civil war. Yeah. So <laughs> he didn't say tribalism, but it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you're right. You're, the, you're right. And uh, the other, the other guy they asked about that said, well, ah, man, in the short term, I yeah. don't know the end of democracy and, but maybe in the long term, the, the collapse of our financial institutions and the end of humanity. And I was like, good gracious. So, yeah. So yeah. if you want to be encouraged, this is definitely a film for you. And I, to that, just real quick, just to remind <laughs> people who haven't seen it, these are all folks who were in that industry at like mid to high level positions. So this is not just people given their run of the mill opinion. Yeah. It's it's not just folks coming in with, with their random thoughts on it from the outside. These are folks who were in the belly of the beast designing a lot of these things and not seeing the, the potential outcome when they were designing. And so for them to say, this is where we think this might end up, if things don't get better, it's pretty credible. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, let's go to the counselors then. Feelings are mentionable and manageable. So David, you were the one at least mentioned the film to me. Now be curious as sort of what your initial feels are after watching it. Yeah. Uh, it just showed up on Netflix as like the top promoted new film that they had on there. And I'm always a little hesitant to watch stuff like that. Cause it just kind of freaks me out uh, that there's so much going on behind the scenes that so few of us are aware of, but like I said, I've seen a good bit of that information before the artificial intelligence to me was new. That whole idea that we're interacting with a system that is so much smarter than us, so much more advanced than us that we can't possibly compete against. We can't come out on top. One of the guys just said, it's not a fair fight for you to go up against uh, this artificial intelligence that is scrutinizing and filing and compiling everything you do online to create a catered experience for you for the purpose of keeping you on the platform, engaging you, having you follow ads, whatever it is. And we're completely unaware that all that's going on. You know, right. there's no way you come out on top of that fight if you're just a regular user of these platforms. And so I think that whole element of understanding a little bit better what's going on behind the scenes and them saying things like the people who created this aren't exactly sure what's going to happen with the data. That's And they're not exactly sure what's going to happen with these processes because it's kind of getting out of control now to where it is artificial intelligence run. And there are only a few people who know exactly what's going on. And they're not even quite sure. Well, I think it was interesting that one of the academics they brought in said algorithms are not objective. Yeah. They are opinions written in code. Yep. And I thought that was, I thought that was just a a perfect way of saying it because the the folks that design them want a specific outcome and that's Mm -hmm. what they're writing the algorithm to do. But Mm -hmm. as the machine learning happens, Mm -hmm. They don't know. They don't know what it will do. I mean, this is why this is why it's been able to be manipulated so mm-hmm. much because it's giving you an outcome. It's why it's giving you conspiracy theories or false news or whatever, because and that's a really scary thing, too. That's what it's showing gets the clicks, mm-hmm. right? gets your attention. And so one of the other things that was compelling in the movie is Tristan showed a graph that said, when we think of AI, we think Terminator. Yeah, we, th- mm-hmm. we see Arnold right. Schwarzenegger. And it's, it's, the, it's the point where the machines overcome human strength. Yep. 
he said, but what's, what's really happening and when we're really toast is when the machines overcome human weakness. And that is so insightful. Like yeah. basically it's exploiting our vulnerabilities. It's not that it's, you know, yeah, we're in this right. death match with it. And one day it's going to eventually come out stronger than us. All it has to do is be stronger than our weaknesses yeah. to be able to take advantage of us and exploit, capitalize on those vulnerabilities and us do exactly what they're wanting us to do exactly what the folks engineering these platforms are wanting us to do. And we're completely unawares and it's not a neutral experience. It is for a purpose of making them money, keeping us on the platform for as long as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So this is really heavy topic. So for my counselors session, I'm going to say that I thought one of the, one of the best parts of the film was in the drama where the family is sitting around the dinner table and the mom takes all the phones and locks them in a little kitchen safe. Oh yeah. Uh, it's a, it's like a hard plastic shell thing with a cap that won't come off for an hour. So he puts an hour on it. And after a couple of minutes, the daughter, well, not even a couple of minutes, I was almost immediately the daughter gets up and says, I need to go grab something out of the fridge. And she goes over and she like takes tongs and she like breaks open <laughs> the safe cause she can't live without her phone. And it just made me laugh. Cause I just thought that that phone just got jailbroke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so Matt, how'd you feel? <laughs> if people recall, I believe it was episode three and four. That's right. We talked about. And a bonus episode. Yes, Boom. that's right. And we had a lot of conversation about the contribution social media has to discourse. I, I don't want to say that our conversation was justified, but I do think it was interesting that these designers, former designers and stuff, they ultimately go to that conclusion, which is this will lead to societal unrest. Hmm that people won't know what the facts are, what the truth is, and, and everyone's going to be polarized. That's where they ended up going with it. So it's not just the effect is on the individual, that they're distracted, or they're, you know, maybe personal effects. They go to the societal effects, which is, I believe, a good bit what we talked about episode three and four months ago. So well, listen, it's what we talk about every episode because we are the socially remote. <laughs> yes, indeed. So anyway, I, I found that particularly interesting when I was watching it. Yeah, I feel like you should have felt a little justified because you made several times the point about us not being able to interact on these platforms without a third party mediator. And I hadn't really thought about that before you brought it up, but they talk about that in this film. And uh, Jaron Lanier, uh, who seems like a really interesting guy, said the only way people can connect online, which you know is the primary way people are connecting right now, is through what he calls a sneaky third party that is actively trying to mani- manipulate these people. The result is an entire global generation where the very meaning of connection and culture is manipulation. Yeah. And so these platforms that seem neutral for just maintaining communication, they're trying to manipulate both parties that are communicating. It's yeah. not just, it's not like we got two cups and a string and that's what Facebook is right. And we're just trying to talk to each other. No, there's all kind of stuff going on where I'm being manipulated. You're being manipulated for a very certain reason. And to yeah. us, it just feels like I'm texting you or I'm commenting on your photo or whatever else. So we've talked about our listeners on this podcast and, you know, we're still a very young podcast. And after he said that, Jared, I thought, you know, I, I need to call him up and, and tell him that I didn't appreciate very much that he just stole our ideas <laughs> and didn't and didn't cite us didn't appropriate and <laughs> in, in the in the film yeah. um in the next time he needed to do that because we're still trying to build some of our audience base but you know he he is a cool guy he he kind of blew me away with some of his jargon and I was just like that's cool dude whatever we'll just we'll <laughs> just call it you know call it even but you know next time i think he'll yeah. i think he'll mention you Matt so what do you what do you say we go deep you ready to take a deep dive deep, deeper deeper let's go So there's a lot to talk about here. And so maybe we'll just sort of start broad and I'll throw this question out, which is what did y'all think were the strengths of the film? Well, I think the fact that they brought in folks that used to work at these platforms and who also designed a lot of the features that they're now speaking out against gives the film so much credibility. I mean, they do pull in academics as well that talk about, you know, human psychology and how our brains work and what we're susceptible to and all that sort of thing. That's really interesting and I think helps bolster the message of the film, but bringing in folks who worked for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Uber, 
Pinterest. You know, I love the guy that used to work at Pinterest talking about how he came home and would go into the pantry to try to check Pinterest, even though he was home from work, his kids needed his love and his attention in his words. And he would find himself locked in the pantry to check Pinterest. And he's like, I've spent all day creating this thing that is now dominating my life when I get home. Uh, He's just like, it's just crazy irony. So I think the fact that they brought in those folks uh, just gives lends so much credibility to the film. If there was a weakness, I don't know. I think the drama part of it, I think there were certain times when I was just like, man, this hits so closely to what families are dealing with. I think it goes a little extreme at the end of the family story about what happens, um, you know, where the, the two older they're in like the protest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it kind of goes, it's it goes from zero to 60 really quickly. Like the, the teenage boy gets back on his phone and boom, he's brainwashed in like three days. So I, I don't know, but I think just the spoiler alert. Oh wait, <clears throat> you've already been spoiled. <laughs> the interactions that they were having and particularly the youngest child, the little girl and the stuff that she was dealing with as uh, yeah. a, a teenage girl who's dealing with all this, uh, that stuff was, was super helpful. The, the other weakness I would say, just from a, a Christian viewpoint, I, I don't think they come back to, they talk a lot about evolution and our brains have evolved to need this or that. They really don't come back to even from a secular viewpoint that the answer to this is genuine human interaction. They, they kind of end on that note, like put down your phone and go outside. It's beautiful out here, but it, some of it turns more toward like we need more accountability in these platforms or whatever. And so just as a believer, I'm, I'm thinking like, no, this is a God given desire that we have for relationship. And this is shortcutting and short circuiting that and a host of other things too. I mean, just how we're turning to social media instead of turning to God when we're anxious or we're fearful or uh, we're, we're not looking for community in the church. We're looking for it on social media. So there were a lot of weaknesses there that I'm seeing because I'm a believer, but I felt like the answers that they came to were maybe a little yeah. lacking. You know, it was just like, we need some better accountability and more government regulation on this kind of thing. I, I don't know. I'm more in favor of just chucking it. Well, I mean, um, one, yeah, one of, one of the guys suggested that at the end that Jaron. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the one who's like, just put it down and go outside. It's nice. What did you, what about you, Stephen? So I, I would agree. I, I think I mentioned just a second ago that, that I have an English degree. I actually taught at Auburn university for a little while and I taught persuasive writing. And I think if this film was around, I would use it as an example of ethos. So when you're writing persuasively do ethos, pathos and logos, those are your three, those are your three tools, just mm-hmm. basic tools that you have for writing persuasively. But ethos is always hard for someone to understand because it has to do with the credibility and the authority of the person making the argument. But this, I think they brought in the right people and I think they spoke in a way that exuded ethos They because they weren't against it. It didn't come across to me as a conspiracy film. Now, I say that because, Matt, you have in the notes here a question about have you shared it with people? And I have talked about it with some people who had already watched it. Uh, I did watch this with my wife, and she actually felt that way a little bit. Like, there's a little bit of conspiracy to this, and I think that's where the weakness was, is that they they didn't have the other side. So go back and listen to our episode four. They didn't have a Daniel. Like, they didn't have anyone that came in from Facebook or Instagram or... To defend, yeah. Yeah, to to defend uh, that side of it and why all these guys are wrong. But I think the way that they spoke was incredibly important. They gave the both sides of it. They, they said, yeah, I mean, it's very addicting. We don't know what's going on. I mean, they had the guy that invented the like button on there and he was like, man, I mean, we weren't, we wanted to create joy and happiness with this. We had no yeah. idea that eventually it was going to be used as a tool by an algorithm that would say, okay, how long does it take to get a like? And this has 500,000 likes. So if we put this on someone's feed, it's probably going to get a like and it'll create an impression and all this stuff. It's this kind of stuff that we don't know what's happening that makes us nervous about it, but it was all people who had left the industry or, or presumably had left the industry or trying to change it or reform it in some way. And so I think they needed, they needed to get, you know, Zuckerberg or someone on there to, to kind of defend the platform and the tools and everything else. So I think if there was a weakness to it, it was that the other side wasn't represented. Well, they did go into a little bit about history. Um, Very briefly, they went into that that, you know, historically people say, oh, well, you know, every time there's a change, which is almost exactly what Grumpy Dan said when we had him on, you know, every Mm -hmm. time there's a change in media, people go, oh no, we need to, we need to be careful here. And they kind of glossed over it. I mean, they gave a good answer. 
mm-hmm. but then they just moved on. Uh, I think that answer probably could have gotten flushed out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and the, and the answer was essentially, but never before have we had a media that, that can overpower you, as you said, mm-hmm. during your exploiting our vulnerabilities. Yeah. We yeah. can't adapt to this. I think that's right. what they were saying. They're like, well, we've adapted to everything else. Uh, but, but, but we might be able to. I mean, let's be honest. We could potentially adapt to it if we get it right. If we if we recognize some of the calls, the clarion calls of these people yeah. and say, hey, there are some dangerous things going on, then we adapt to this and we use yeah. it you easy responsibly. And I think some we are starting to see some of that, to be honest with you. Now, whether people ignore it or not, I don't know. But I get a weekly screen report from Apple. Mm-hmm. They send it, it comes to me on my phone during church every Sunday. I don't know why it comes every Sunday during church. You know church. what? I get mine on Sunday morning, too. That must be the default. Yeah, maybe maybe they're trying to distract us from the sermon. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just another algorithm. It's the devil, it's a conspiracy. man. Um, so, well, um, you know, th- yeah, I thought ahead. I thought with that point that you're making there, right there, Stephen, just the fact that our our newspaper, of course, it's trying to they're trying to sell more newspapers, and they're trying to. I mean, it's if you're looking online, of course, they're running ads and all these other things, and there's manipulation going on there. But our our newspaper is not interacting with us and tracking our movements and tracking how long we stay on a story and uh, how many times we share the newspaper with friends or whatever to try to then craft a custom experience for us for the purpose of Mm -hmm. keeping it on that platform and in that medium for as long as possible so that they can uh, then profit from that through advertisers. I mean, it's a completely different technology. And of course, there are going to be similarities and it's, it's a shift and we have to deal with it and change and yeah, I understand that, but it's it's completely different than other mediums. And they talked about the fact that processing power in the past 60 years has gone up a trillion times. Yeah. And they said the closest thing to that is the car, which has yep. doubled in speed. And beyond that, there's nothing, you know, a trillion times. And they're just like, we, our brains can't compete with that. Yeah. They just I, weren't designed to be able to, to win against a, a supercomputer. And that's what's going and driving all of this. So it is different than a newspaper or commercials on TV, even though they're, they're trying to manipulate us or trying to evoke a response out of us, but that commercial isn't interacting with us. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think what you just said is exactly, especially when it comes to political stuff or culture stuff, which is there's a huge difference between picking up, let's say the wall street journal and reading it, the editorial section and saying, Hmm, that's a center, right perspective on this Mm -hmm. and then i'm done right as opposed to i clicked on that and then i'm starting to get more and more stuff like that and Mm -hmm. and and there's nothing like that well and if i could for just a second let me pull back the curtain on that yeah that's great you can pull back just please don't push back all you ever do is push back well you can pull back but yeah no i'm gonna pull back the curtain which will give some pushback to can't win (laughs) push back pull back that's right just back yeah all right so I did marketing uh, for a company for a while. At the time it was probably about twelve to fifteen million dollar a year company. And humble so, brag. Humble brag. So I, I had a little bit of a budget to play with, and this was 2013, 2014. And so some of this stuff w- was still being developed. But what we did was we played with Google AdWords. So we are talking social media, but Throughout this film, too, they talked about Google and search engines and everything else. Yes. And so what we would do was we came up with about a list of 200 keywords that when someone typed them into Google, we wanted our ad. So, you know, when you type into Google, it gives you sponsored results. That's mm-hmm. right. It didn't always say sponsored results. Sometimes you were just coming up at the top, which was really nice. That was early days. But now they've gotten a little bit more ethical and they say, hey, someone paid for this, right? Like someone paid to put this right here in your face. Right. Mm-hmm. But sponsored results. Now, what I could do, I could do it as frequently as I want. I could be those three guys on the phone. I could monitor it daily, minutely, hourly, whatever. But Google in the background is running a program that's very similar to what you see on that screen with those three guys in the phone that, that you know, as part of the drama of this, that's actually a very real looking screen. So I could see that, okay, this ad word today has generated five clicks into the website. Yeah. Now, when that person clicked in, when those five people clicked in, here's what they did. They spent five seconds looking at this part of the website, not just the page, but the place on the page. Mm-hmm. So they have all of that information. So Google is collecting it. Now, what makes the part of this film scary is that what they are saying essentially is that Google and Facebook and Twitter, all the, the AI has now taken that over, whereas I was evaluating that and making some of the tweaks the AI and the algorithms are now evaluating that in many cases and going, okay, so that ad word 
got them to stay five seconds? How do we get them to stay for six or seven or eight? Mm -hmm. And so I personally, like I said, I could have done this every hour of every day. I could have watched this stuff because it was fascinating. There's so much data there to watch, but I probably spent, I don't know, 10 to 12 hours a month just looking over these and then making tweaks like, okay, this keyword has been fairly successful. So then let's tweak in this way to get more people to do this one. This one's generated phone calls, but this one's generated people coming in through email. So let's, let's tweak this. And what I want to reiterate as we get into this next part Mm -hmm. is that what is happening now, especially with these platforms, because this is what I was doing as an advertiser, but what Google and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and all these places are trying to do is sell you that. Yes, but we know how to keep them on your site longer. We know how to make those impressions. And this is where, this is some of my pushback. I would say, but so what? Mm -hmm. I mean, they clicked on our website, but if they didn't do anything with that, they didn't buy something, what difference does it make? So we were just dipping our toe in the water. But there are some large corporations paying enormous amounts of money for that. And that's, I think, one of the things the film was saying was, if they could take the the 2 billion people, as you said, David, Mm and move that dial 1% and say, you know, we, we can get you that 1% of, of mind change of 2 billion people. That's massive. Yes. And I think that's, I think that's what they're selling is they're saying, look, look at our, they're essentially selling a user database, you know, look at our users and we can, yeah, we can shift the dial and our, our algorithms will help you get to where you want to be in sales. And, and they, they constantly talked about turning the dial. Yeah. Oh, we need more users in Singapore today. So we'll do this. And all of a sudden it just jacked it up. That kind of stuff scares me to death because I've seen a little bit of the, and, and again, mm. the small company compared to some of what these large corporations are, are throwing at, at these sorts of things. Yeah. And you compare that with like going and looking in an encyclopedia back in the day to research something. Yeah. Obviously, you know, if you're going to get different opinions on the same event that happens so, and nobody's suggesting that back then it was all consensus and now it's this, but you compare that with going to a library getting an encyclopedia, reading about an event. Now you go to Google and the, the results you get may be based on who paid Google the most. That's and right. so you're not getting, there's it's not like, again, it's not a neutral experience. Yeah. Well, just in case some of our listeners are, are a little bit more savvy in this, I do want to make the distinction that there is a difference between organic SEO, search engine optimization is what they would call it from the advertiser. Organic would be that I've done enough tweaking. This is why on our website, we write up every episode and I put keywords in those episodes, but the keywords that I, that I lace in those episodes are just coming into the Google search engine. We haven't paid a dime, but if we have enough of those keywords over time and we are showing that we are continually updating it, it organically comes to the top. You can pay and be up at the top, but I, and now that's disclosed with Google. Yeah. With Google, it says sponsored, you know, sponsored as a result. So we do have to distinguish there that, that there are some, but, but again, it's still a craft, right? Like we're a small time podcast. I doubt seriously, if someone searches missions or social media, that we're going to be anywhere in the top, you know, hundred hits. But I am, as I type up these notes, knowing what I know, I am lacing them with keywords so that maybe eventually if we continue doing this for a decade, we start coming up. So the folks that know how to do this and know how to generate content daily, hourly, weekly, I mean, this is what news services do. They generate so much content that they're always on the top of your feed. Whenever you search a news story, boom, CNN, Fox News, NBC, ABC, and it's all organic. They don't have to pay a dime for it. Yeah, and, and to that point, news agencies are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there was a a book I read, and they were talking about the Washington Post had run two separate headlines on the same story, and they compared the two, and one was getting a lot more hits. So they just basically got rid of the first one, and the first one turns out was actually a much more accurate representation of what happened. It's A B testing. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> so to bring it back home to the the initial question we had, I agree with David that one of the biggest strengths in the docudrama as it is was having these people who actually were on the inside Mm -hmm. and it wasn't just you know one guy tristan who's broke out of it it was people from all the different platforms who were willing to sit down and, and chat about this stuff and sort of raise concerns about it so i would say i agree with you on that on the weakness or on the strength on the weakness i thought the biggest weakness was the omission which is towards the beginning and I think it's the producer or somebody says, so what exactly is the problem here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nobody can really say what the problem is. I mean, I think 
they're like, you know, I think at one point Tristan Harris is like, ah, it's a bunch of different things. And mm-hmm. so to me, there was silence. There was so much silence that, yeah, everyone was like, ah, uh, yeah. Like, and so that, I guess, and maybe that wasn't the point of the film is to get to what's the problem as opposed to just saying there is a problem, but what really is the problem? Um, so I thought that that was a little weak. Now, again, towards the end, they start saying, well, here's where this is all headed. And, I suppose the biggest problem here is is what they would say is the decline of democracy, et cetera. But I thought that was a little bit weak on that aspect of it. So there's a ton that we could unpack from this film, and I've got a bunch of handwritten notes, and you guys both have notes. A lot of this are four pages left. You ready for it, guys? <laughs> a lot of this our listeners can get just by watching the film themselves and thinking critically on this stuff. But I'm I'm curious after having watched the film and with everything else that we have talked about regarding social media. What do you think? Because as Matt said, they don't really answer the question. What's the problem? They, they do in the movie, but they don't have a very succinct answer for it at the outset. And they're, they're not coming at it from a Christian perspective. So what do you guys think as Christians is the problem with social media, given everything that we've kind of discussed here tonight and seen in the film and have talked about in the past? So from a Christian perspective, the biggest miss is, is that the fix to this is not making social media better or i mean it it may be as a somewhat fix but it's not the true fix to me that's not where it is and the irony of the whole thing is is that if you go back to tristan harris's powerpoint that sort of kicked off this whole discussion and and it kicks off the film he actually has a slide in his powerpoint presentation where he's talking about the negative effects Mm. of social media And in that slide, he's got a picture of a snake and an apple. But yet, of course, he's secular or the the presentation secular. I don't know what his religion is, but it's like you almost are getting it in this PowerPoint presentation, but then you didn't talk about it, which is the problem is sin. Mm -hmm. It's our sinful nature. And all of the symptoms that come from social media... That, that's what I that's what I yelled at in that silence where yes. they said, So what's the problem? Yes. And there was that silence. I just yelled yes. at my TV. I like, said it's our brokenness. Sin. <laughs> yeah. It, and I say sin, it's it's our brokenness that we think that there are other things that can fill our lives and fill our heart and make us happy mm. when really it's the all sufficiency of the gospel that matters. And so yeah. I wasn't expecting it from the film. It's a secular film, but I think from a Christian perspective, it does. That's how I would walk away from there. And I, like I said, the irony is, is that I think Tristan Harris is so close to getting there <laughs> in his PowerPoint, but then just moves on and really describes more symptoms than the root cause. What do y'all David, think, David? You're you're the pastor. Yes. Tell us what the Christian response to social media should be for all people. <laughs> well, I'll play off of what Matt was just saying because Tristan Harris says at one point that these platforms take over our sense of self-worth and identity and become mm, yeah. the places that we draw those things from. Now, obviously the the platform in and of itself is not evil. I do think there's more going on here than we realize. And so there are, I don't want to say nefarious, but there are manipulative processes going on behind the scenes that we're not aware of. So I'm not, I don't think it's completely neutral. But you can't, like Matt was saying, the issue is sin. So you can't just blame the platform. Well, the reason I have an addiction to this is because of Facebook or it's because of AI. I think that certainly plays on the vulnerabilities that we have because we're sinful human beings and it tries to keep us on there longer. But as believers, just as human beings, our sense of self-worth and value and identity, that should come from Christ. It should come from being an image bearer of God created to worship him not from what a thousand acquaintances think of us. And so the fact that we're going to those places to find our worth and to figure out how many people like us and how popular we are or how valuable we are. I mean, just as he was talking about the effect this is having, especially on teenage girls, I mean, they're finding their value in this. That's not where we need to find our value. So that's, that's one issue. We don't need to be looking at social media to find those things Um, along those lines. You know, he said, when we are feeling lonely or bored or anxious or whatever, we're going to these things. And as believers, we need to be going to Christ when we have these feelings. Tristan Harris called social media a digital pacifier. Yes, and I thought yeah, that was such that a, was a great, I thought that was, that was such a great, a great name 
because anytime we have a feeling we don't like, even if it's something like boredom, which isn't necessarily negative, we feel like it's negative and I think we're largely afraid to be bored as a society. But whenever we feel something we don't like, we go immediately to social media. We go to our phone to see what the next notification is instead of running to Christ with those feelings. When we're feeling anxious or we're afraid of something or we're depressed, we'll go to social media. And a lot of times those things are making the depression even worse. Yeah. What happens if you go and you don't get the responses that you want? So the idea is, well, I just don't have to deal with this. I'm going to go distract myself to death. There's a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death that, yes. that talks about this, that we just can't stop amusing ourselves. And really when we do that, we're not leaving room for any kind of self-reflection, any kind of uh, meditation on the truths of the gospel. And we're not letting those things penetrate our hearts. We're just saying, I don't want to deal with that now. And so we're not going to Christ. We're not going to other people to ask for help. We're just saying, I can just numb myself with this stuff. And for the Christian, that's not uh, acceptable. Stephen, I think everything you guys said is correct and right and good and true. I agree with you. (laughs) Good. I think on a personal note for me, when I've had these things, it plays to my ego Mm -hmm. and essentially everything you said, but it's also a time suck. There are so many better things godly things that I can be doing and pursuing with my time other than finding out who tweeted what, if someone retweeted me. And I think I've said this in episode three or four, that if someone forced me back onto social media, my drug of choice would be Twitter. (laughs) Um, But there, and part of that's an ego trip. And part of that is just the quips, you know, it's, it's a limited character platform. It's true. And it, and it's there to build yourself up as opposed to really trying to build others up. That being said, I also think there are some avenues within them. Now, we've talked about a lot on here that none of us have social media. We are socially remote, so we don't have social media. But I know there are people who use social media for ministry and for good purposes. And I think that was something that came out in the film that a lot of these former executives said was, there is good to this. Mm-hmm. We, we designed it for good. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that the only way to monetize it was a way that we didn't really foresee the outcomes of. And now we're looking at it, we're staring in the face and it, it's almost too big to fail. I mean, there were several statements in there that these are the wealthiest companies that have ever existed on, on planet earth. They're being de facto governments, et cetera. And so, you know, look at what I just said. Those are things as both of you said, that we can put our hope in that people mm-hmm. often do put their identity and hope in their companies, their governments, their whatever, like, and that that's all being packaged into one thing. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that we operate within culture and to simply unplug as the three of us have done. And I would say that the three of us have done that for more personal reasons can also be a way to lose ministry opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that if you're, if you've tracking with us as we're talking about this, but you're like, yeah, I'm not ready to pull the plug. And, and there are ways, there are good things that I do on here. I keep up with family. I care about my friends and my family members through this and, and through my likes and through my comments. It's a way that I can express to them my care and encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. So I think there are ways to use the platforms and the tools as platforms and tools and not as things of manipulation. They talk about that too in the film, that these, the moment it turns from a tool into a way to manipulate you, you've passed over into another side. So, so everything you guys said is true. I just know for myself personally, it builds my ego and it's a huge time suck that I could be pursuing other things. And and I can't say that I do that perfectly. I can't say that, you know, every time, like you said, David, that I would feel lonely and I would go to my, I mean, I still go to my phone, even mm-hmm. though I don't have social media, yeah. I still go maybe check my mail or, or see if there's anything in my news app that's updated. So I found it fascinating that at the end they said, well, you know, so what's the solution or, or what should we all do like individually? How can we combat this? And one of the things that almost every one of them said was turn notifications off unless it's immediately important to you right now, the notification needs to go off your phone because that is, that is the tool they're using. Every time it vibrates on your hip, you, you get that hit of dopamine like, Oh, someone likes me. I'm yeah. someone like my picture. Someone wanted to, wanted to retweet me. Someone wanted to right. uh, be my friend, whatever it is. Like they're doing that to get you to come back on and re-engage with you. Uh, and so it is a manipulation. And so anyway, I guess, I guess for me, from a Christian standpoint, from a godliness standpoint, it just took so much of my time that I could have been running to the Lord. And I still don't do that as often as I should, but uh, I guess I would say that to agree with you. Yep. Well, I might jump off of what you just said for my parting shot. Let's do it. Let's do it. 
So one of the notes I wrote down after I finished watching it was just redeem the time. And that yeah. was what you just mentioned there. Like there are a lot of ways to waste time. You know, I mean, I can get off of social media and find a million ways to waste my time and a million things to fill my time. So it's not like social media is the only thing I do think is that it is the most prevalent waste of time that we avail of today as a society. I mean, you don't have to go anywhere to just see folks scrolling anytime there's a down moment. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a crazy story. I pulled up next to someone at a stoplight the other day and looked over and they weren't looking at their phone. It was so weird. <laughs> they were looking at what? the traffic light, waiting for it to turn green so that they could begin accelerating in a timely manner. It was the weirdest thing I have seen in a long time. <laughs> Freaked me out, man. No, anytime we've got a down second, we're going to be scrolling through social media. We all know this. The Bible says that life is a vapor and we know life is short, even if it doesn't feel that way. Uh, even if you know we're young and thinking, man, we got 50, 60 more years, whatever it is. We all know that life is short, too short in a lot of instances. Um, and that life, whatever that amount of time is, belongs to God. And I, I think too many is, of us are giving our lives away to social media because what is our life except for time? It, yeah. It's time and we can't get it back once it's gone. And to think, man, I devoted four hours of my day today flipping through Instagram. Like you can never get that back. Yeah. And again, we're picking on social media. You can waste your time in a million different ways. But I think that's something that we're going to get to the end of our lives and just think, man, I wasted a ton of time on my yeah. phone. You know, I ignored my kids and now they're here, hopefully around my hospital bed or however I end up going, you know, and I'm going to be looking at them thinking, man, there were a lot of nights. I just wanted them to go to bed so I could get on my phone instead of spending time with them. So Steven, you mentioned this too. Like my encouragement would be just to put some safeguards in place. You know, you can download apps that will limit your time on different things. You can, download extensions on your browser that will keep you from going to certain sites or only let you go during certain times. Um, you can download extensions that will cut out your newsfeed on Facebook. You can set aside time for 30 minutes. I'm going to go for this very specific purpose onto Facebook to check in on this group or check in on my cousin or whatever it is, but just the mindless scrolling and refreshing and refreshing and just going back to see if you missed anything or yes. if maybe someone did something that is going to impact me in some way. It's just such a waste of time and we can't get that time back. So just be an encouragement to be more thoughtful about how you spend your time. Yep. Yep. So I have two parting shots. The first one is, and Stephen, I think perhaps you disagree with me, but I do think that the film suggests one way to fix this is through regulation. If you go on the Center for Humane Technology, that's a big part of what they want to do is pass legislation, regulation. I think it's not political in the sense of partisan political, because I do think there is an increasing number of folks, both on the so-called left and so-called right, that are seeing what we're talking about. And I do expect legislation to happen. You know, what that looks like, I don't know. But so I do think there is going to be some quote-unquote fixes to it. But again, I, these are tweaks to a much deeper problem. So that's the first thing. I, I do think that's probably going to happen. I would say personally, what I think the biggest issue is, is that big tech is too big. They have too much influence. And I know the Justice Department is thinking about bringing any trust by, uh, any trust suit against Google, whether that happens or not, given the election about to come up, I don't know. But anyway, I do think there's going to be some some movement on that. Changing gears and really getting back to more of the root of the problem David's wife actually shared with us a podcast that she was listening to, I believe, that was actually written by two people who work for the Barna Group. And everybody knows I like to uh, cite Matt Stats. Matt Stats on the Barna Group. Um, but it talks about, um, and I can't remember exactly the title, but it, in the book or what they write about is, you know, sustaining your faith or, or keeping your faith in what they call the digital Babylon and how mm. screens are discipling us. Mm. And I think that's exactly right. And even though we're not on social media, we're not active on social media, I think that the culture is still affected by social media. So in essence, we are affected by social media. And I was listening to this podcast with these guys describing it, and I think he was describing a situation where he was teaching, I don't know if it was high schoolers or something like that, and this guy, a kid in his Sunday school class or Sunday night class, 
had basically watched a bunch of YouTube videos about how to like debate theology, like from an atheist perspective. And he, and, and the point of the story was he was like, you know, he shows up and then he's just hit me with all these questions. He's like, he's already been catechized mm. by something that that's been put out there on YouTube. And the point of the entire story is, is that we as Christians have to deal with it. We can sit here and say, you know, the three of us, we're not on social media, but we're not immune to it. It's out there. There's millions and millions of people out there. And so it still affects us, it affects our witness, it affects our discourse, it affects our theology and our discussions of theology because there's so many people out there looking at this stuff. And to David's point, the platform itself is not evil. It's, I want to say that, be clear, there are things, I agree with David, there are things that sort of play upon our vulnerabilities, but nevertheless, it evokes a lot of negative consequences of humanity. And I think that permeates our culture, whether we're on social media or not. And so anyway, that would be my other parting shot. I think my parting shot is going to, is going to change gears is going to jump a little bit off something David said. And it's something in the, in the film that got some screen time that really, really affected me the stats that they had in there about what this is doing to preteen and teenage girls. Yes. So they had the stats about self-mutilation, cutting, you know, et cetera, hospitalizations from self-mutilation that has stayed pretty steady in the decades previous, but starting in 2011, it began to spike and it just continued to go up. That's hospitalizations. Same thing, but the spike was more dramatic with suicides for girls and that we all have girls in here. And so I guess if I had, if I had one parting shot is to be intentional and be aware of what your kids are doing yeah. on the computers. I don't think we can take that from them. To be honest with you, this is the new reality. Our kids are in school on the computer yes. right now. But what was interesting to me too, was those were the stats for teenage girls. There was nothing in there about, teenage boys and and so uh, part of that i think is is an issue of of morality like they probably didn't want to make any sort of judgment calls on pornography which we know is just rampant but i do wonder after watching that you know how is this affecting boys i have a son david you have a son you have a son matt like we how is this affecting boys yeah it can't very, be good <laughs> it's very concerning and, and i think that's a, i think that's something we need to we need to probably spend more time on and it's something we've probably shied away from because there are no good answers we're not going to just be able to get rid of it but it is such an influence in our families that how do we do it uh, i've mentioned this book before but i may have to go read it again the tech wise family by andy crouch it was a good read about just how to how to minimize the the impact of digital life on your life of as a family but I was convicted to be more intentional and more aware of what our family is doing. So that's my, that's my part of like shifting gears a little bit on that, but um, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought this was a good opportunity for us to share some things that we've been working through just in our own conversations. A lot of that I've been working through personally. I think the the film was a good jumping off point for a lot of that. And I do encourage uh, our listeners to go uh, watch it. It's, PG 13. I think there's a little bit of language in there, but it's, it's a fairly clean movie and just a lot of disturbing information. The in there. social dilemma, the social dilemma. Yep. Available on, on Netflix. So we are actually charting out the last couple episodes for this season of the socially remote. We'll probably take a break at the end of the year. Uh, Steven, you want to tease what we'll be doing next time? Yeah, so I'm actually David going to tease the whole lineup because we are nice. running very quickly into the end of the season. So what I want to encourage listeners to do right now is if you have something for our season finale, our season finale is actually going to be just a recap of some of our shows. So what did you like? What didn't you like? We, we may actually do some of the stuff that we've been lambasting here tonight. We may tell you <laughs> how many hits we got on each show. We, we may go into some of the Google analytics and go, Hey, this is our most popular <laughs> show. This is the one that uh, didn't, didn't fall well, but which ones did you like? Which ones didn't you like? What do you want to see next season as we go into as we go into 2021? I'd like to see no coronavirus, but, uh, but right. there's only so much that our podcast can do. So mm-hmm. next episode, we are going to be talking about the, the Christian and politics. And then the two episodes after that, we are actually going to have a special guest on. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Carl Truman about his new book, 
the rise and triumph of the modern self. And we've all started reading it. It's it, great. It is a good book. It's very deep. Uh, but it's one of those prophetic books that I think we're mm-hmm. going to look to and say, man, he got a lot of stuff right here. And so we're really looking forward to that episode. Uh, that book will be available in November for you to buy. We were we were able to get a couple of advanced copies th- uh, courtesy of Crossway. So thank you, Crossway, for that. And we are reading through that right now to prepare for that interview. You're welcome. Wow. Crossway <laughs> coming all the way from Illinois down here. That was speed of sound right yes. there. Beautiful. And then we'll have our final episode, our season finale, where we recap some of the some of our episodes and, and what we liked, what we didn't like, what we thought fell flat or what we thought went really well. And we'd love to have your input on that. We'd love to have some feedback from you. So please reach out to us at hello at the socially remote.com. Or if you would like a cell phone number, you can call Matt's cell phone. You might have to go back and uh, go to a couple episodes to find I've changed number. my number. <laughs> um, I was just getting blown up. So I've changed my number. <laughs> um, but yeah, we would love to hear from some folks about, about what they want to hear in season two. And based on this episode, don't share us on the socials i think that's going to work guys unless you want to have yeah unless you want to have an impact for good yeah that's right if you want to have an impact for good then share us on the socials yeah well thanks for listening and we'll see you next episode all right see you then thanks for listening to this episode of the socially remote podcast until next time stay socially remote but in a good way Try to practice social distancing from the tribalistic monologues you find in places like social media. Instead, we encourage you to have similar, meaningful conversations with friends, family, and neighbors. Kind of like the ones you hear right here on the Socially Remote Podcast. Podcast.